the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very time were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. morning. How are you? Very good. Now we've been talking about this iPad for a couple weeks now, right? What have I been doing with this iPad? Someone tell me. Yes. So I've been, I took all the games off so I don't, so I don't play them anymore. That's what I gave up for Lent, right? Why did I take these games off? Yeah. So, so you don't have to do, play them and do all the work that you have to do on the iPad. Very good. So I can get my work done, first of all. But also, uh, to pay... Yeah, exactly. I can focus on Jesus, right? I, I, I'll take the time that I usually spend wasting on this, and I'll focus a little bit more, right? All right. Now, what did I add on here to help me do that? Kind of. It kind of like a Bible, Yeah. It's a book about Jesus? And, and you, you took the, um, and I was this, when I get the candy and watch my iPad, I says I came because I eat breakfast. Yeah. And, and I have another thing, and I said I have to eat all my breakfast, and sun is out, and turn the leg on. Well, you've been doing the same thing as me too, right? You have to get stuff done before you get I on your iPad, right? My, I didn't take my um, um, my games off. I just left them on there so I can play them. Okay, so you still have your games. Yeah. I don't. But I did add a book about Jesus, you're right, and it helps me spend a little bit more time. Yes. And a devotional, that's right. Something that helps me every day 
focus on what uh, Jesus might be doing in my life. Very good. Now, what do you think I have on here today? Any guesses? Yeah. The background? Okay, well, we're going to see. I'm going to hit the button, okay? Nothing's happening. Why not? Well, okay, let me see if the power's on. Is, is, oh, what does that mean? Oh, the battery's dead. Oh, man. It has to get charged. It has to get charged? Oh, well, yeah. I have a special, I have a special prayer to say after, after all this lesson. Okay, we'll pray after the lesson, but I messed up, guys. Can everybody look at my nose? I messed up. There's no power in the iPad. Now, what should I do? Yeah. Charge it. So I should do something about it, right? I should go charge it. But I still messed up. Yeah. Very good. So when you're electronics get low, you have to charge them, right? And same with me. But since I messed up, it's not here. We can't do anything today. Now, I'm sorry, and I'm going to charge it later, but what do you think God would want me to do in the future? Be ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I do have a clue, and this is my own vanity, but I intentionally drained the battery on this iPad. Yes. So you already figured that out. But even if I, this was an accident, even if I did it accidentally, I would still, I would still have to do something about it. I would try to do better, right? And I think God would treat me the same way you're all treating me, which is, it's okay. We make mistakes, right? When we make mistakes, we're supposed to ask for forgiveness, and we're supposed to try harder. And what does God do? Yeah. He forgives you. Now, only part of the time? Only part of the time? Always. Always. Very good. Very good. Do you guys ever mess up? No. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. I will take a poll of your parents later. Yes. From time to time you mess up. But it's okay. Try a little bit harder. And God forgives you. And we forgive you too. Why does God forgive us? Because he loves you more, and I have two things to say. Because he loves you. Very good. How about you do the real prayer, and I can do the following prayer? How about we pray together? Yes. Okay. All right. We're going to pray. Shall we pray? Yes. Anthony, you can go first. Follow with Jesus' words to um, clean up and 
vacuum the floor and tidy up the kitchen and wash the dishes. And we can forgive you, God, for all the sin we have in our hearts. Amen. Amen. God, we give you thanks for the faith in us that when we mess up, you forgive us. That when we need you, and when we think we don't, you love us here regardless. In our work and in our play, whether our iPads have charges or not, we ask that you remind us that you love us and that we try to do better. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your prayer, Anthony. In the name of Jesus, amen. As you know, every time we're in a, uh, a season of the church, the sermons seem to pile up on one another, don't they? There's, there's kind of relation between them. So the first, uh, the first week of Lent, we talked about why we give stuff up, what temptation is, and it's that thing that kind of slowly cuts us away from the kingdom, slowly turns our eyes away from what God would have us be focused on and what God's doing in the world. On the second week, we talked about how that turning happens, what that experience of it is. And we talked a little bit more about the space, that intentional space that we give in our lives to discover and look at the new things that God's doing. On this third Sunday, it behooves us to ask the question, what happens when we mess up? What happens when we mess up? It not only behooves us in our Lenten experiences, but it behooves us in daily life to know what happens when we mess up. In the text today, we have just an inkling that there's a conversation that's been going on between Jesus and the crowd. And this conversation has actually been happening for the whole of chapter 12 before it. This is the beginning of chapter 13. The whole of chapter 12 before it, Jesus has been interacting with the crowd around him. In fact, the beginning of chapter 12 says there were so many around him, they were trampling one another. And they're probably trampling one another, just like we all do, when they're trying to get close or all in one same space as one another. So they were trying to get close to Jesus. Jesus was talking. They were asking questions. Or they were suggesting things. And Jesus was responding. So there was this give and take going on. Jesus wasn't uh, lecturing in front of a crowd. Instead, he was talking, kind of taking Q&A. Jesus has a lot of parables, a lot of things that is put before him. But the gist, without going through every pericope, hangs between what we worry about and what we should be worrying about. Throughout chapter 12, there's a slew of things that we worry about. We worry about what we will eat and what we will wear. We worry about our righteousness. We worry about other people's righteousness. We worry about 
authority, we worry about physical, spiritual, emotional needs. And rightly so. But Jesus, on a regular basis, when the crowd brings up, what about these? What about these? Says, do not worry about these things, but rather worry about what the kingdom of God is concerned with. Now that's kind of easy to say, hard to do, right? At the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus kind of states his thesis for the crowd and their interaction. Worry not about those who can kill the body. Worry about those who can kill the body instead and cast it into hell. That kind of opens our eyes, right? Jesus isn't playing with kid gloves in this moment. It's after all these things, all these... What about this, Jesus? No, don't worry about that. What about this, Jesus? No, don't worry about that. After all these things, we get to this experience. What about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices? Now, this is kind of the ultimate thing, right? Because if you know anything about the way sacrifices were supposed to happen, there's a specific ritual and a specific part of the animal that's supposed to be used every time. The blood was used in specific ways. In addition, when you died, when a human being died, it was unclean. And so Pilate had effectively taken the good sacrifices of the people, killed them, which is already bad for them, right? We can agree that them being killed was bad. And then made their sacrifices impure before God. Made the temple and the altar area itself impure before God. What about these? What about when the temple itself, what about when your faith itself, what about when everything that you, Jesus, claim to be standing for is mocked, is ridiculed, and we die. What about that? And Jesus responds, do you think that these people suffered in this way because they were worse than all the other Galileans? No. I know there's more. But the second example, when the tower fell, We all have the experience locked in our mind of falling towers, don't we? When the tower fell, was it because they were worse? No. But in verses 3, and in verses 5, and in verse 9, later on, we hear an emphatic no. But, if you do not repent, you will perish as they did. There's no kid gloves. It's very simply, yes, you are called to be something different than you are. And if you don't, there are consequences. Now it takes every fiber of my Lutheran being being pulled in an opposite direction (laughs) to preach a text like this. Because as Lutherans, and rightly so, and I stand by this, Until I die, there is grace, and it's abundant, and it's for all. And there is love, and it's abundant, and it's for all. This is what we learn on the cross. But here, we seem to hear that there is a responsibility, and it is deep, and it's for you.
And then there's a parable. There's actually two. The second one we read today. The first one is with Jesus in the 12th chapter, right before it. He says, You hypocrites, you know that when a storm rolls in and there's thunder, you look up and say it's going to rain. And it does. And you know that when the south wind blows, that there's a intense heat, I forget what it says, coming in. And it does. But you look at what I'm saying right now, and you seem to not know what the kingdom of God is doing. It's so plain, isn't it? Do the work of the kingdom. Then there's the second parable after all this. There's a man, has a fig tree. He goes out. Three years in a row, it has no fruit. He says, cut it down. That makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, you've got to hedge your bets. You can't just keep a tree around because it's nice. He goes to an orchard. He's got to live from the orchard. Cut the tree down, plant a new one, start over again. The gardener says, no, let me care for it one more year. If it bears fruit, great. If it doesn't, fine, cut it down. Actually, you may cut it down. So there's a chance. Now, as with any parable, the parable acts like a drain basin. Okay? So if you are poured into this parable, where do you settle? Where do you feel yourself being inserted into the parable? Many folks will say the fig tree. And that seems to line up with what Jesus is doing here. Sometimes it feels like you're the gardener. Regardless of where you find yourself in this parable, the result's the same. If there is sin, if there is things drawing away from the kingdom of God, here's the opportunity to change. If you don't, cut it down. As Lutherans, we say there's grace for all, there's love for all. It's abundant. This text says that in the kingdom of God you have work to do. And it is very clear. So what happens now? Our original question is, what happens when we mess up? It's abundantly clear, isn't it? Try harder. If you come to the children's sermon with your iPad uncharged, charge it. Well, that one's pretty simple, right? Well, what about if you're, if you're ignoring your prayers and you're ignoring time with God? Well, pray. Spend some time with God. Now, it isn't always this flippantly easy, right? From time to time, and in most times in life, there's very difficult things. But the answer to it is rarely ignore it. Interact with the kingdom of God, as it is happening here. This is your job. Bear fruit. This is your job. If this feels grating, and if this feels harsh, it is. But it's also the text that we have for us today. There's two steps. 
Try harder. Pray for grace. Grace is not what the gardener did. That wasn't grace. That's hedging your bets. That's different. What the gardener said is, let this have one more year. If it bears fruit, great. If not, cut it down. Basically, that's saying, let's give it a shot. That's the parable, right? What we see on the cross is not, I'm going to give up my life for one more year. Let's see if the world gets it. If not, burn it. What we see on the cross is if this tree doesn't bear fruit now, give it another year. If it doesn't bear fruit after that, I'll give it another year. And if it doesn't bear fruit after that, I'll give it another year. And now we're getting to the point of ridiculousness. And that's grace. Grace is ridiculous. Grace is pointless. Grace does not guarantee fruit. Grace does not guarantee anything. And that's why it's very helpful and very good and very right that when we mess up, we pray for it. It's very good and very right and very godlike that God would give it. When we're the fig tree and we have no fruit to bear, it is not by our merit, it is not by our work, it is not by our claim to be sons and daughters of God. Personally, it is not by anything else but then the grace of God to say this tree has done nothing and I'll keep it. Grace is the depth of what we haven't done matched with the depth of God's love to give us another year. On our Lenten journeys, as we talk about those things that turn us away from God, as we talk about the space that kind of breaks open the ground of our existence, that new things might start growing, I want us to be abundantly clear of the depth of our work. Change. In the midst of that change, I mean, we've always got this little thing in the back of our head, right? I should change. I should do this. I should be this. Just keep challenging yourself, you know? And it's not easy. It's but by the grace of God that we can even do that. But keep challenging yourself. If not you, then who is going to do this work? If not now, then when is the work going to be accomplished? And I don't care how small and I don't care how big it is. If you see that devotional book sitting on your stand, if not you, who's going to read the book? If not now, when's the book going to be read? Read it. If you see God moving in the area, if you see the opportunity for the church to be active, if not you, who's going to be active? If not now, when is the action going to occur? When is the fruit to be bore? When is the time for the kingdom? The time for the kingdom is now. The time for the fruit is now. That's the depth of your work. Also be aware of the depth of grace. Because when God made human flesh considered the worth of this tree, 
and his own worth, he'd rather be cut down himself than you. Let that sink in. You are worth the cost of the life of God. Seems to me we ought to be going after this work with a little bit of eagerness. God be with you in your work. God give you strength and determination and an opportunity and hit it hard. You got work to do. And may you know the limitless, boundless grace that follows. God be with you as we turn the corner in these 40 days. Amen.